My name is Alec Crawford, and this is Stay, a podcast about sustainability, technology, artificial intelligence, and how they impact you at home, at work, and around the world. I am discussing these topics with high-profile guests to give you important information that goes much deeper than other sources. Find out answers to questions like, can artificial intelligence save the planet? And how does ESG investing affect you? We can build a better, sustainable future together. Hi, it's Alec Crawford from the Stay Podcast, and our special guest today is Scott Tu, Leader for Sustainability for Train Technologies, including the Center for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability. So welcome, Scott. Hi, Alec. Thank you for having me. So let's start by talking a little bit about your career journey. Sure. I've had, it's certainly a journey. It's a couple of decades now of working and weaving in between all things environmental. I started out as an environmental scientist for a big chemical company working on toxins in the environment that switched over to working in sort of as a liaison, a technical liaison between company and environmental government agencies. And, you know, that morphed into managing environmental issues uh, globally, including some stints in Europe and elsewhere and uh, back to the U.S. where I joined a company that now is known as Train Technologies and originally joined that to help work in refrigerants. One of the major raw materials that's used by Train Technologies are refrigerants, which are greenhouse gases. And that became a sustainability role. And for the last 13 years, I've led the center that you just mentioned, where we've been working on how to improve how the company does everything it does every day in a, with a sustainability as a lens. Awesome. And, and speaking of Europe and European journeys, you were at uh, Davos earlier this year. Tell us something you learned there. Yeah, Davos. You know, Davos is, uh, has a lot of, it's opened itself up for a lot of criticism, think globally, a lot of misunderstandings maybe about the Davos meeting. Um, but I tell you, my takeaway from this year was that finally, I think every sector of the economy that is needed to help us move towards a better future related to sustainable practices and better and reduced emissions, they're at the table now. That's not been the case until recently. You know, in the past, we were missing some major facets of the economy, including finance, uh, the banks, including companies like my own company that make important things in people's homes and buildings. And so having every sector of the economy represented talking about their actual actions that they plan to to take to help reduce emissions you know i've come away very positive about the davos meeting so speaking of sustainability what's what's your definition of sustainability sustainability well for me i think it's just about uh, there are probably lots of interchangeable terms for sustainability but for me it's about it's about who a company wants to be it's always been about that. Um, some companies talk about in the past, we've talked about continuous improvement. We've talked about how to do things better. And I think sustainability is simply that. I think it's about asking yourself the hard questions of how can we do whatever we're talking about, our products, how we treat our people, how we engage in communities, how we serve customers, how we manage risk, all those things for me are about sustainability. It's all interwoven there because sustainability is always about how do we do things today to better position us for, for tomorrow. Yeah, that sounds a little a little bit like leading by example, which is one of uh, Train's programs, right? Yeah, it is. It's one of our themes. We have three themes, actually. Leading by example is one of them. And what we mean by that theme is that 
we plan to operate our facilities in a way that uh, we believe they will be leading. So if we're calling on and providing customers with solutions to help them decarbonize their own buildings, their own factories, their own research centers, then we should actually be doing that ourselves. And so what, what that commitment is about is making sure that we're operating the most efficient ways possible, make sure that we're reducing our energy consumption, make sure that we are taking fossil fuels out of our processes. And we're doing all those things. We've made some really bold commitments as part of that leading by example umbrella. And you can find them all on our website, but that's just one of our three exciting themes. First, let's talk a little bit about train technologies. I mean, I, I know the company pretty well, but uh, what, are, what are their lines of business for the audience? You know, there's two, two big facets to the business. One, most people know the train brand because we are a leading provider of HVAC or heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, which are really comfort, it's comfort in people's homes and in commercial buildings. So no matter if you're at your house or your townhouse, your apartment, condo, or you're talking about your office, it's a high probability that train is providing some portion of that comfort. And when I say portion, what I mean is not just the equipment that provides the air that might be helping your space be more comfortable, but also the sensors, the controls, all the things required now to, to operate that optimally. That's number one. So that's the train business, both for residential and for commercial. The other is our Thermal King business. And Thermal King is a the world's largest transport refrigeration company. What, the does, what does that mean for people? Uh, what it really means is that fresh food at your local market probably brought to you by a cooling system provided by our company. We transport more than half of the world's fresh food in 140 countries every day, which is tremendous opportunity for us to do two things. One is to reduce food loss as food is being transported to the consumer and the other is to make sure that that entire system that's called the cold chain is operating as efficiently as possible. Let's talk a little bit about your role at Train and the scope of your role. You know, during the introduction, we talked about you being the leader for sustainability, but also running the center for energy efficiency and sustainability. You know, the role has changed over time. Train technologies, I'd say the new train technologies, the company at an enterprise level, we actually believe that sustainability is our business. We believe that our business is sustainability. We believe that you can't really separate the two because if you think about it, as I mentioned earlier, sustainability is really about all those things. It's not just about the environmental uh, efforts anymore. It's also about your social capital, the social work that you're doing. It's how you treat your employees. It's what you expect of your suppliers. But it also goes into your business model. You know, how are you designing products for the future? How are you governing all the things that I just mentioned? Some groups now call it ESG for environmental social governance. Whatever you call it, though, I think sustainability for the best companies is interwoven with the purpose of the company. And that's really what's exciting. And so my team, my team really is part of the day-to-day -day team. We make sure that the day-to-day -day actions necessary for progress are, are happening across the enterprise. And it's a lot of fun there because there's, there's so many expectations from stakeholders now more than ever before, whether we're talking investors, customers, our own employees, future employees, the expectations have never been higher for companies. And so if you're not a company that's connected sustainability to your purpose and your mission, you're probably missing out on some great opportunities. Well, that sounds like you and Train are doing, doing that really authentically, which I think is, uh, is important. It sounds like 
it's such a great job. What's the favorite? What's your favorite part of your job? It's hardly changed. My favorite thing has always been trying to anticipate what the expectations are around the curve. We used to have some leaders that would say, uh, "Help us understand what's just around the curve, or help us see around the curve." And so, I, I love that thought because, and I think sustainability done well is about how you're doing what you're doing today, but it's also about how you meet the expectations just around the curve and. I love understanding a big challenge and then trying to figure out with a smart group of people how we will meet that challenge. And there's some big ones. There's what's something I call like a dual challenge right now for my company. And Train Technologies sees these big megatrends. One of them is that there's um, an increasing need for access to comfort and access to more things like fresh food, maybe vaccines, things that need cooling to be delivered to people. At the same time, there's a societal need that we reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And so the question is, and maybe the challenge for us all, especially my company, is how do you keep providing all the things that we provide today and at the same time reduce the greenhouse gas emissions of those solutions? And for me, that's, you know, that involves everything from how we operate our own facilities, but also how do we help customers understand how we can help them in the future? So. That's that's the most exciting part of the job. Now, speaking of seeing around the curve, my understanding is that you have a program there called Operation Possible, where you really encourage employees to come up with something that it might sound absurd. You want to think about it in terms of, is this something we can really do or incorporate in our business or, or change something for the better? Yeah, Operation Possible is really, a, um, it began as a way to engage our employees in solving some of these big societal issues that we can't just ask some small team to get in a room and solve. And these are big things, like uh, how do you solve the issue of food loss for society? How do you, is there, are there things that we could help with that could solve that issue more than is being done today? We turned that into a massive way to engage our people and collect all their ideas. So it's like take, it's like a funnel approach where you take thousands of ideas some are incredible. Some are really on the, on the leading edge. And you take all of those and you winnow them down to a couple of truly cutting edge ideas that the Operation Possible team then goes and works with our innovation team and works with our business teams and outside partners to try to demonstrate what's possible outside. And on one of these big issues, our most recent example, in countries where fresh food is delivered by street vendors, countries like India, for example, great amounts of fresh food are with street vendors every day, thousands of street vendors. And this is where local citizens would purchase their fresh food and vegetables. And they're typically provided on carts on the street corners. And the issue with that is, is that uh, the fresh food, if it's not purchased uh, rather quickly, can begin to spoil. And so our Operation Possible team came up with an idea of possibly using a coating on top of the cart itself to reflect sun and a very, a very affordable coating. We worked with some outside partners, came up with a special coating for the carts that would increase the longevity of fruit and vegetables on those carts by seven to 10 extra days. And if you can imagine what that does, that's an amazing amount of efficiency and amazing amount of access to more of the fresh food and vegetables and less spoilage over time. This is just one example. There are many others, but Operation Possible is a great example of how we are taking our best ideas and 
from all of our people and solving a big societal issue. That's an incredible story. Scott, I'd, I'd like to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more corporate. So could you tell me more about your interactions with the CEO and, and the board? Yes, I think your question is more about like the governance. So the interactions for a company that says that sustainability is our business, I think you can imagine and your listeners probably can understand that we, that means that the CEO, the board and the leadership team are, they're fully engaged on all of our efforts. And on a daily basis, weekly basis, their actions are not just not, their words and actions are really important. They've we've attached our metrics around emissions reduction, which is our most material non-financial issue, emissions reductions, as well as our diversity commitments, which are part of our opportunity for all. We've attached those to our leaders and our managers' compensation. This is how serious we are about it. If you want to know if a company's serious about it, you'll 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 look for them to attach the things that are most important to compensation. And for train technologies, we've done that. And so all those things we've been talking about are there attached. And, and the CEO is a not, he's much more than a cheerleader. He's living this in his personal life. There's, there's value that he knows is there for our customers. There's value that he knows because I believe that the commitments that we've made, I mean, why are they so important? I think he and the leadership team of train technology sees some of the same things that I see about our commitments. And one is they help us become a better 21st century company. They also help us serve 21st century customers better because our eyes are wide open about the challenges in front of us. And so, yeah, fully engaged. The board has readjusted the expectations of every committee and ESG. All these issues we're talking about is now connected to some board committee and to the full board expectations that they are directly linked to all of our progress. So you mentioned Opportunity for All. Maybe uh, tell our, our listeners a little bit more about that. Yeah, Opportunity for All is our theme around people and community engagement. We have set some really leading commitments in that space well before some of the recent societal issues that have arisen, uh, like things around race and ethnicity. We had set commitments around gender parity, for instance, around workforce diversity. We had set big commitments around how we would invest in STEM education and including our communities. And And you can check out our website to see that these are all truly leading commitments about what you expect and how you plan to manage your company in terms of its people, but also how you plan to be a true partner in the community. And I think there's two ways to be a partner in community. One is you have to be willing to invest in communities. You have to be able, willing to invest in the important issues in communities. You also have to allow your employees to, to go out and volunteer locally. It's an amazing amount of time is provided to our employees to volunteer in local community, non-governmental, but community charitable organizations. Every year we give employees time off to do that work, a paid time off. We also match their time with contributions to those organizations. And last but not least, the company is investing its own money in organizations that are really providing workforce development and things that we believe are must be addressed to improve things in society. Now, how, how did you actually establish the firm's sustainability goals? It was an iterative process, but it was not done inside the company. We actually went outside the company. We asked critical and really important uh, non-governmental organizations, uh, groups like WWF, uh, the World Wildlife Fund, groups like NRDC, the World Environment Center, and others. We ask 
what's a leading company in 2030 and beyond? What do you think that would, what's that company look like? We also ask our employees the same question of what kind of company do you want to work for in 2030? We ask our customers similar questions. We ask uh, academics. We had, it was a very inclusive process, a global process. We went to every region in the world. This was all back in 2018. And what came out of that was the three themes that we've been talking about. One was a company must lead by example. It's got to do the things that it thinks is important and set an example. And the other the other thing is they, there has to be opportunity for everyone. You have to be committed to that. You have to be committed to changing how you hire people, how you retain people, how you recruit them. And then last but not least is you have to be willing to change your products to meet the big needs of society, which is our third theme. The third theme is our sort of headline grabbing gigaton challenge. The gigaton challenge is our commitment to reduce our products emissions footprint by a billion metric tons by 2030. It is the largest corporate commitment to product emissions reductions in history. It is the single largest science-based target in history, even through today. And it's the one that really is our North Star for how we are changing our product solutions and portfolio to make it much better in the future than it, than it was in the past. So besides your annual report, how, how do you communicate your sustainability strategy to your stakeholders? Well, you mentioned the annual report. The ESG report is also really important. That's, those are formal disclosures, but we also have a pretty dynamic website. I would invite all your listeners to check it out at traintechnologies.com, where you're going to find an opening on our commitment to sustainability. But more than that, what you're going to find is a, just a treasure trove of case studies of how this is working with customers in the market, of what it looks like inside the company. There's some short videos on there about what do some of the terms mean and why we are committed to some of the things that we're committed to? What do we think about these big megatrends like climate change and demographics and urbanization? You'll also see how, we've how we're making sure that we're not just doing this very insular. We actually have matched a lot of these commitments with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals to make sure that we recognize that we're connecting our work to some big issues on society that need to be that need to be changed. So I think that that's really critical for a company to be able to tell their story. But more than that, I think it's expected that companies be more transparent as days go by. The way we were transparent five years ago, the appetite is much higher now for a company to, to disclose all the ways that we run the business. And we're really committed to that. Yeah, transparency is super important. And, and you mentioned the UN Sustainability Development Goals but obviously, you've got other regulatory regulators, basically. So what, what are the biggest gaps in sustainability and ESG from a government or regulatory standpoint between the U.S. and Europe? Are you meaning uh, directly related to disclosure? Yeah. yeah, disclosure, exactly. Yeah, I think that uh, we're at a point now where some regions and countries, like you just mentioned, Europe, some are parts of Asia Pacific, the uh, SEC and the U.S., we're at a point now where we can no longer wait on companies to step up and disclose in all the important areas. We are now seeing these frameworks from regulating agencies come up and say, here's what we now expect companies to talk about. And I think this is a good thing for us. We've been, we've been a transparent company for a long time. So uh, some companies have not been, and some companies have been cherry picking the things that they want to talk about, maybe the things they didn't want to talk about. 
but we're at a we're at a point now where there's about to be a new a new minimum for all companies. That's predominantly going to be about emissions, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, and your efforts to reduce them. So there will be a requirement that companies become more transparent around their greenhouse gas emissions footprint and what they're doing to reduce it. I think this is a great thing. We welcome these changes. We believe that once all companies are being transparent about their footprint, at least we'll all know where the biggest opportunities are for us to go and do some things to reduce them. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the more transparency, the better as, as far as I'm concerned. What do you think your biggest challenge is over the next five years or so? We really bullish on solving the things that we're trying to solve. We're, we're seeing some great things happening. I would say in the U.S. with the IRA funding that's about to flow out to the states, this is going to be a tremendous next generation change in some applications and some solutions. Heat pumps is a great one that obviously is on our radar screen since we provide comfort to homes and to buildings. I think the faster adoption of some of these technologies with the incentives from IRA is just going to be great. It's going to be great for homeowners. It's it's obviously going to be great for the environment because we're removing the need for fossil fuels for heating. By the way, uh, you know, fossil fuels used in heating represents roughly 6% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. So it's going to be really nice to begin reducing that number by trans transitioning over to next generation technologies. So I think that's one. It's not really a barrier as much as it's like a, it's a great step forward. I think the transparency elements you just mentioned are going to be a, a step forward because we'll all be talking from at least the same minimum set of data. And then I, I think we just have to continue transitioning the energy grid globally. We've been on this sort of a seesaw in the past few years. I think the pandemic probably taught us all some lessons, but the seesaw of dependency on fossil fuel, we continue to go up and down on that. And there has to, at some point, come a time where we fully transition to a decarbonized grid with less reliance on fossil fuels. And so our company certainly believes that that's all possible by 2030. And we're going to continue on that, that way. And we see great opportunities to do all of that. Yeah. I mean, the good news is that the recent Infrastructure Inflation Reduction Act laws are throwing a lot of money at the uh, at the grid. So that's that should be super helpful. Well, look, at, I think many companies, though, have a role to play in enabling that transition. You know, if you're making almost anything, uh, you know, we're obviously a manufacturing company, but no matter what a company manufactures or puts into the marketplace, I think there's a role in, for them to help enable the transitions here. So other challenges of the last year for many companies have been inflation and supply chain issues. Are those starting to abate at this point or how are you thinking about this? I mean, as I mentioned, we have a very strong backlog of orders for all the solutions that we're putting out there. We're full steam ahead on our innovations, our product launches, our getting products into the marketplace. And we don't see any of that uh, changing anytime soon. You talked a little bit about uh, the start of your career and being an expert on refrigerant. Kind of a geeky question, but are we sticking with the existing ones or is there a need to create yet more different refrigerants that might even require different hardware? There's a two-part answer to that question. One is, is that we have, I think, train technologies has single-handedly proven to the world that you can transition much faster than the previous set of compliance regulatory schedule was. 
we've already done that. The entire industry moved forward ahead of schedule. That all started back in the 2014 timeframe. And we have reduced the impact of refrigerants with this next generation that we're in now, some 70 to 80%. So your question about where do we have to can transition again? Yes is the answer. Even though today's class of refrigerants is so much better than they were just, let's say, seven, eight, 10 years ago. But there's more work to do. We're gonna, we can't quit until we're at zero. We want zero impact. And I think we can get to a point where refrigerants can have zero impact and we're working our way towards that. Now, I can't give a date for that yet, but I mean, it's, it's, in the, it's in the near future. I just keep looking at what the history has done. 20 years ago where we were, 10 years ago where we were and where we are today, it's just day and night difference. And I think the innovations, the commitments from companies like Train Technologies is just as deep today as ever. And we're going to get there and we have to. Yeah, zero impact refrigerant sound awesome. And that I'm assuming that would require different hardware, right? So you couldn't put a zero impact refrigerant into a 10-year-old system. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's the case. Our, one of Train Technologies' viewpoints on refrigerant transition has been to re reduce as many trade-offs as possible from one generation of uh, equipment, to use your term, to another. Meaning we shouldn't run to things that are flammable because that's a trade-off that we're not willing to make. We shouldn't run to things that reduce the efficiency, because if it's going to take more energy to, to run the equipment, then that's a bad trade-off. We shouldn't run to things that are toxic. People want to talk about things like ammonia, great amount of ammonia in a commercial building, in an office setting, in high-rise. Not, that's, that's not the greatest uh, idea, maybe. And so what we want to do is we want to do this really carefully so that you reduce all the trade-offs. And then one that you just mentioned is, can you make one that's just drop-in ready? Can you, can you design a system so that when the next refrigerator comes out, you just kind of plug and play. I mean, that's an ideal world. A lot of issues with the economy right now. And obviously, we just recently saw several bank failures. Are, are you concerned that a recession might slow sustainability goals for train or, or companies in general? I mean, I can't really give the company's position on that. I'm not part of the CFO's office to give you what we're really seeing on, on the financial side. I can tell you this, though. In my current role in sustainability, we actually launched the Center for Energy Efficiency and Sustainability uh, just as a uh, recession was, we were coming out of the last recession. That was after the 08, 09 timeframe. And we've gone through a lot of ups and downs globally through the years and the company's commitments have not wavered once. So we talked a little bit about the dual challenge earlier. You know, the demand for cooling is projected to increase and for comfort in the world as we try to reduce greenhouse gas. Let's talk, just talk a little bit more about that and, uh, and how we might address that as a society. Well, I mean, here's the issue. Heating and cooling buildings represents roughly 15% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. I mentioned food loss earlier. Food loss alone represents roughly 10% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. If you add those two together, that's simple math. Train technologies every day the opportunity in front of us, the big challenge is how do we reduce 25% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions? That is just an incredible opportunity for any company. It's also really good to have your eyes wide open about the challenge because if that's the challenge, then you need to commit in big ways to make it happen, which was sort of the lead in for why we made some big commitments around, we'll do our part. We're also calling on other companies to do their part. It's not the only societal issue, there are others, there are some things we need to continue working on in the workforce, like gender parity, women occupying 
only a small portion. I think I saw a figure that said women only occupy 10% of top management positions in S&P companies. That's still such a small number. So there's a lot of work for companies to continue on. So these, one, disclosing it, being transparent about where you are, setting big, bold public commitments, really important. I think nothing changes behavior better than a public commitment that you've tied to your leader's compensation because then you can just watch the magic happen. And that's what we're seeing happen in companies that are serious about this. Now, obviously there there are just a, a mind boggling number of sustainability organizations out there. Are there any third party organizations you like or recommend to help either companies or investors grappling with sustainability issues? There, there are a couple that are important, Alec. One is Science-Based Targets Initiative, the SBTI. We believe that it's really important for a company not to set their emissions and climate commitments in a vacuum and that you should run to those groups that are using science, that are, that are rooted in your own company's history of progress, how big your commitment is, and let them evaluate whether or not they think that it's big enough to be meaningful. And we really like their process. We think it's objective, it's uh, fair, it's transparent. And we think it's a good one. So I think the SBTI is a good one. There are others that we think are also good. Some of the reporting frameworks are important. SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Principles, we believe that that's an important one because that one is the one that has principles for disclosure based on the industry that you're in. I think it makes sense for most of your viewers to understand that train technologies, it's hard to compare what we do to maybe a company that makes toothpaste. It's two different things for the marketplace, probably produced differently. And maybe there's a need, if you certainly compare us to another part of the sector, like finance, it's very different business models. And so SASB has developed a framework that's very specific to the industry you're in, which we think is also important. In terms of any sustainability-related book or paper, anything you've read recently or recommend to our listeners? So many great things out there right now. I highly recommend Net Positive, Andrew Winston's book and Paul Pullman's book, uh, which we really have uh, leveraged inside of our company over the past year to help everyone understand that it's not just about doing less bad. It's about how do we make whatever we do more positive? It's like a net positive. So it's a, it's a different mindset. And I like the way that that book characterizes that, uh, that view of how you make your products, how you think about customers, how you treat your people. It's not about less bad than last year, which was our approach. I think many companies' approach in the past was just an incremental improvement year over year, less bad than last year. But what if your view was, how do we, do, how do we make everything we do just a positive, a net positive? That's a different mindset. Yeah, you know, that's that's like setting stretch goals. It is. Once, uh, right. once someone tells you about it, it's like, wow, what a great idea. Why didn't I think of that, right? Exactly. Awesome. We've got a lot of chief sustainability officers as uh, subscribers to our podcast. What's the best advice you can give to a new chief sustainability officer at another public company or private company? One is you have to, material materiality assessments still are really important. They're a tool that's been around now for about a decade, but you have to, there are thousands of ideas that are all valid, but how do you get to come to your handful that you really got to focus on? And I think a materiality assessment helps you focus on the big priorities. That's number one. Number two is, I, I've already said it, big, bold, public commitments. 
Uh, this is becomes a North Star for a new sustainability leader because it becomes a North Star for a company and your leadership and your employees. And by the way, employees, whether they would articulate it this way or not, they're really engaged in this. This is a personal value thing. The things we're talking about are about making communities better. It's about a commitment to make a company better. Who doesn't want to work for a company like that? And so it's about it's about engaging people differently. It's about helping people understand that they have a personal role and actions that they can take to help. I think those are all really exciting things. Final question before we go to our, our, our final rounds of underrated or overrated is what will your successor be doing differently 20 years from now? I think differently in the future. It'll maybe more of the same. This concept of net positive, I don't think has to go away. I think if you have that in front of you, then uh, it kind of trumps everything else because it, it it invites you to figure out how to not just be better, but even take on even take on challenges that may have been outside your purview in the past. There was a time where sustainability leaders and teams didn't engage with the businesses very much, or they didn't engage with some of the functions like IT or HR or finance. But what we're seeing today is the a total blending of all of those things, just because sustainability is not about one function or one business or one product. It's about, as I've already mentioned, it's about who you want the company to be in the future. All right, so we're so the last five minutes, we have a section called underrated or overrated, well, I, where I, I mention something and you tell me whether you think it's underrated or overrated and, uh, and why. So uh, we'll start with uh, Alabama basketball's chances this year. They are they're they're rated well. How's that? They have a chance. <laughs> All right, they got a shot. Uh, big upset with Princeton recently. That's right. Uh, Willis Carrier, the inventor of air conditioning, underrated or overrated? Oh well, he he is the he brought us uh, comfort that changed the way we think about our own homes and buildings. So that's underrated. Heat pumps. Oh, wow. Heat pumps. We don't even, people don't even know the magic of heat pumps yet. We'll know more going forward, but there's so such great potential in heat pumps and you can't electrify buildings. You can't decarbonize buildings or vehicles or most other parts of the market without understanding the power of heat pumps. All right. So we're going with underrated there. Correct. Uh, the the transition to electric vehicles underrated or overrated? Oh, that's un- it's still underrated by most. There's still too many naysayers. Yep, I love my Tesla. So do I. Uh, <laughs> Plant based meat underrated or overrated? Probably overrated at this point. I think it's um, we're still in the stage where the early early companies uh, were processing too much. And uh, we're trying to mimic what we all think of as meat too much. And so where we are today, probably overrated. Uh, The impact of the SEC's proposed climate risk and greenhouse gas filing rule. Mm. The power of it's underrated. Um, If they don't, if they don't, uh, if they don't pull back too much of it, I think it has great, um, great upside for everyone. Artificial intelligence. Ah, I don't know. I don't know how to rate this, and other than to say, when sometimes I'm so excited on things that I can admit I don't know about, but I, I see how 
It could be a game changer. It's underrated. All right. Uh, voluntary carbon credits, underrated or overrated? Voluntary carbon credits. And it's overrated. It needs to, uh, we need to, we need to less, focus less there and more on doing the real hard work right now before we talk about carbon credits. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Uh, it was great to spend some time with you and uh, got some, some great, great stuff here. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, to learn more, go to the website, uh, traintechnologies.com. So thanks for coming. And Alec, thank you very much for having me. You were listening to the State Podcast. You can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. For example, Apple Podcasts. Please like, subscribe, and comment. And you can also find us on stayblog.substack.com. Thanks. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that.